and welcome everyone to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am Garrett Behanna, joined once again by Jim Rixner, Hooks Orpic. Jim, how you doing? Doing great, Garrett. How's it going? It's going pretty well, and you know it's it's starting to look like you know the puzzle pieces are are coming together for the Penguins. Everything seems to be falling into place, but you know the, the Penguins have yet to clinch a playoff spot. But you know. It's almost a foregone conclusion that this team, you know, will be in the playoffs uh, and everything will be situated, let's say, this time next week. And, you know, we should know by then who the Penguins will be playing in their first round matchup, presumably as it stands. Uh, It looks to be like the New York Islanders as their first round opponent. But until everything is official, you know, we can only speculate at this point. Uh, Since our last episode of the podcast went out, uh, a couple of news points we have here to discuss. Uh, most notably, I guess, would be the 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 injury roundup, the injury recap of some of the more notable players uh, from the Penguins, specifically on that decor. And I guess the two of the bigger injuries come from the the top pairing of that Penguins defense, with both Chris Letang and and Brian Dumoulin now um, having. Uh, I believe Letang has an upper body injury, and Brian Dumoulin has a lower body injury. And Jimmy, let's dive right into it. Obviously, if Latang and Dumoulin are out for any period of time, you know, as this regular season winds down and, and the playoffs are really right around the corner, if if both of those defensemen are out for, like I said, a prolonged stretch of time heading into the playoffs, I don't know if that Penguins defense can, can you know, can withstand an onslaught from, from a team like the Islanders who are, who are going to be coming on all cylinders. You know, you have to imagine the Islanders are going to be amped up and and ready to go after no one really expected them to get this far under Barry Trotz in his first year. So looking at these two injuries on defense, uh, Jimmy, what's your take? Do you, do you think that, you know, these two injuries look to be, you know, both of these players look to be rehabbing and on their way back into the lineup? Or, you know, do you think that the Penguins, the, as the way it looks right now, do you think they'll have to fight a little bit longer, maybe into the playoffs without both of these defensemen? Yeah, we'll have to see. I Right now, I'm not really that concerned about the Brian Dumoulin injury because that one looks like it's short-term, minor in nature, and that I think if the playoffs started this week, he wouldn't be pushing through and playing. But the Penguins know it's not like they're going to win the division, and they knew that. So I don't know if they kind of figured, hey, he's got some bumps and bruises. I mean, it's never good at this time of the year to be injured at all, but it, that that Dumoulin situation to me for the world just looks like, Hey, we're going to give this guy, you know, four or five, six days off the skates. Just, just let him heal up so that next week when it counts, he's really going to be in top form or, or better at least than he is now, or if he pushed through it. So that one, I think they're okay on. And I think you can probably count on him seeing him for sure in game one, but the Chris Letang one is definitely a lot more troubling right now. And, and that's the one where you got to shake your head. He taught, he skated on Wednesday with the team at practice, but he was in a non-contact jersey. And he said to, on Wednesday after practice, when I'm ready, I'll be ready to go. And I'll go when I'm 100%. And he was asked directly if he would be ready for the playoffs. And he just said, we're going day to day. So he's not committing really to anything. And he mentioned earlier in the week as well that he left 
the lineup after playing three games in late March because he wasn't quite feeling right and he he wasn't comfortable was the word he used and he can be kind of terse with the media especially when things aren't going well or when he's hurt and that's kind of what I sense from him and his tone listening to the, his press conferences that he had that edge about him and he usually has that like I said when he's struggling when he's off his game or when he's injured he's kind of like almost snappy like that like because I, I don't know if he's just irritated that things aren't going well or he's hurt. And that's kind of me reading between the lines. But I don't really like the vibe coming from Latang or from Sullivan when he talks about Latang. Officially, of course, he's just day-to-day, but everybody's day-to-day. And, I mean, I guess it's a good thing that Latang's at least out there with the team. So I'm not going to close the door on him yet for game one of the playoffs. But, gee, at this point, I mean, unfortunately, it could be like a worst-case scenario if he's not ready for round one or maybe at all, and they don't know or not going to say. I'm, I'm sure they won't really say, but that to me is the one that I think has the real red flags at this point. And on the flip side, looking at that forward group, the most notable injury, obviously, is that to Evgeny Malkin. And uh, Malkin hasn't played since the suffering the the upper body, the midsection injury against the St. Louis Blues back on uh, March 16th. And um, it, it looks as of this point that Malkin is rehabilitating quite nicely, and it, it looks like he would be ready to go. Uh, I, I would assume if the playoffs started tomorrow that Malkin would be in there. Uh, he, like I said, is now at the point in practice where he's taking contact, he's out of that no contact Jersey and Jim, at least in my opinion, I think Malkin is a guy, if they're going to miss Latang for an extended period of time in the playoffs, having, having Evgeny Malkin's presence back on that second line really softens the blow of missing Latang because I think it's been evident over the last couple of games as the regular season has wound down that the Penguins have sorely lacked his presence and have, have lacked his offense. They've really become a top heavy one line team and the offense has really dried up as the, unfortunately as, as the regular season comes to a close. So with Malkin back, how, what, what kind of impact do you foresee Malkin making uh, assuming that he is all prepped and ready to go for game one of the playoffs? Yeah, and since this is dropping on Friday, I'm guessing Malkin probably played last night when people are listening to this Thursday against the Red Wings, so he should be good to go. And yeah, like you said, you know, giving him two weeks off, it's almost like it gives him an advantage. It gives him some rest, and he better be ready to turbocharge the pens in the offense because I looked at it since he's been out, the power play went two for 22, which is only 9%. So I think you look immediately right there and you think, well, you know, Malkin's got to help you score more than two goals in nine games. And really the Penguins power play for, I think as much as people are down on them or kind of unsure about how they're doing, especially since they give up a lot of shorthanded goals, that power play from February 1st up until Malkin got hurt was first in the league hitting at 29%. And that was, I think about a 22 game stretch of sample size. So the Penguins power play over the second half of the season before Malkin got hurt was really starting to click. It was starting to perform well. So I think that that's probably where you hang your hat and hope that he could do better or something that I know is on the list that maybe Malkin coming back will help Phil Kessel score. Maybe it'll help Hornquist score more along those lines of helping get other guys going with the big center who can distribute the puck better. And right at the end to your point there, Jimmy, um, one guy that we're going to segue into is, is that of Phil Kessel. And for 
as much flack as Phil Kessel and Patrick Hornquist, for that matter, have taken for this season at even strength, and, and you know, rightly so. Uh, in that same token, however, looking specifically at Phil Kessel, you know, it, it's been expected now that you know Phil Kessel is probably going to accrue most of his points on the power play, and I, I personally don't have a problem with that. I, I look at Phil Kessel's numbers uh, throughout this season, and you know, it's been a running gag, especially on Penguins Twitter, you know, all, all throughout the season, how th- this is Phil Kessel's worst season as a Penguin, and you know, it's time to cut him loose and get rid of get rid of that contract if he's not producing. Uh, Phil Kessel has 79 points in 80 games this season, uh, basically registering as a point per game player. And you know, people are ready to throw the pitchforks and 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 flames at him. I I just don't understand where the frustration comes when when a, a winger that you're paying 6.8 million has damn near uh, a point per game, almost 82 points per 82 per an 82 game season. He's making his money, and it, it's just it's amazing where you know some of these penguin fans come out on social media and, and try to blast Kessel just because, you know, he has been in a rut at even in terms of even strength scoring. And, you know, I, I'm not going to dismiss the fact that his even strength struggles, you know, have been well-documented and you'd like to see him finally turn that corner. And maybe that, that corner has started to, you know, has started to be turned. He's starting to turn there uh, based on his, uh, his um, a game a couple of games ago against the Detroit Red Wings on April 2nd, where he did register an even strength goal. So, you know, maybe that even strength goal against the Red Wings, maybe it was enough to get Hornquist, you know, you know, get him going, go, get him going and get him off the schneid. I mean, if the Penguins are going to go anywhere, they're going to need contributions from Phil Kessel one way or another, whether that be on the power play or even strength. But even strength specifically, like we mentioned uh, when, to- when previously talking about Evgeny Malkin, how-, how this team's offense has essentially dried up with all of these guys, you know, seemingly stuck in a rut. And maybe with Malkin's presence, you know, like you said, guys like Hornquist and Kessel can get it going now that Malkin is back and everyone doesn't have to carry such a hefty load. So, Jimmy, I'll turn it over to you, and, you know, we you can kind of, I guess we can both kind of forecast, you know, what we think the the future holds for Phil Kessel here. Obviously, it's going to be hard to predict as the season comes to a close and we get ready for the playoffs, but is that even strength goal? Do you think that even strength goal against the Red Wings, do you think it was enough to give him that confidence boost to say, hey, you know, I, I'm feeling pretty good, you know, I get that goal off my back, I can finally start to move forward? I think so, and I hope so. Um, Going back to that Detroit game two games ago on Tuesday night, as soon as he scored, he did get two breakaway chances in the game after that later on, and it had been a while seemingly since he had snuck behind the defense or hung out behind the defense and got those long home run passes. So I I think confidence, it's weird to think for the best players in the world that confidence or the mental side of the game even matters or they have to take that into account, but they're human beings just like anyone else. And Bill Kessel knows like over the last 13, 14 games, whatever it was that he hadn't scored any even strength goals. And he knew like you, you could tell when he scored it, he gave a, a little smile, which, which is kind of unusual for him. But even then, I mean, he, he just has the style. I think that if you want to jump on him, you're going to be able to, because not counting the Thursday night game last night against Detroit, the previous 14, had 13 points in 14 games. 
to lead the pens. So, I mean, is, is that not enough? Is that not good enough? Does it not count if it's on the power play? Last time I counted power play points count just the same as even strength. So I think overall, even though like style wise, Phil might not always fulfill you, he might not satisfy you, but he he's coming through. And to your point was great that his season stats, like his first season, I think he had 59 points as a penguin. He's going to get over 80 this year. So is this his worst year as a penguin? No, it's not. He's he's doing fine. I think he's just a convenient guy to beat up on because he doesn't look the part of the of the star and his struggles. You know, when he's playing bad, he's playing bad. There's no way around it. He's invisible. He's turning the puck over. You know, he's doing all these annoying things that you can beat up on him on. But at the same time, at the end of the day, you got to look at the stat sheet and see his contributions. And he's his shots over these games, he's not scoring, but he had 38 shots in the last 14 games. And you compare that, Sidney Crosby only had 27. So is there room for Phil Kessel to, to help more? Yes. Do they need him to do more? Yes. He was bad or hurt or whatever last year against the Capitals. And I think if you if you want the Penguins to beat the Capitals this year, you got to have more out of Kessel. You got to have more out of Malkin. Matt Murray didn't have a great series. Chris Letang didn't have a great series. Those are the guys that are really got to step up. And when the Penguins make deep playoff runs, their stars are really in the way and their stars are doing a lot to help. And I think that's what you look for. And you definitely hope that that even strength goal might break the ice a little for them and help him get that momentum and confidence rolling. Because once he gets rolling, there's no doubt he can be one of the dynamic players like we saw in that 2016 playoff run. It's time to go into a little bit of a speculative mode. And just for the just because, you know, the the playoff seating hasn't been decided, the, the, the Penguins, assuming that they will or have clinched a playoff spot are going to play the New York Islanders as it stands right now. Let's talk about this 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 assumed first round series against the New York Islanders. And I want to start the conversation by saying uh, the game that they dropped against the Red Wings on April 2nd, it's kind of a shame that they did in the fashion that they did. I, I really think that the the, the 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 Penguins controlled their destiny, you know, whether to really get that first round home matchup to start the playoffs. And I'm not saying that home ice advantage is incredibly crucial for the Penguins, but, and, you know, as it stands right now, by the time this podcast goes live, uh, the the Penguins still very well could control their destiny, but they could have had a, uh, a straight shot for it had they beaten the Red Wings and clinched that playoff spot on April 2nd. Looking at the New York Islanders though, it it seems like the Islanders are, are, starting to come back down to earth. I, I don't think they are as dominant as they were early on in the season. Um, with the Islanders having 99 points to the Penguins, 97 at time of recording, it, it, it looks like on paper that it's very close, but Jimmy, I'm not so, so sure um, that a first-round series with the Islanders would be that close. Now, that's just my opinion. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you know the, the Penguins are going to go out and, and sweep the Islanders in a four-game set. I don't think that's going to happen. But looking at all the other opponents that the Penguins have gotten at, at, at any given time throughout this, this push to, towards the playoffs, uh, I mean, we're talking about going back as the season progressed when the Penguins were hovering around the wild card spot thinking, oh, they might get Tampa or, or they might get Washington in the first round. I really do believe if they were to land, uh, if they were to, to land the Islanders as a first-round uh, opponent, I really do think that's the best-case scenario to start the playoff run. I don't think the Islanders are, are for real, no matter how much success they've had this season. 
Uh, I don't think they're a fluke. I, I think that some of the success could very well carry over to next season as well. But looking ahead for round one, I think this is a matchup that the Penguins can exploit. I think they can find success against this Islanders team who really aren't that deep, in my opinion. So, Jimmy, I'll turn it over to you. What are some of your initial thoughts, assuming that it's going to be Penguins-Islanders in round one? I think if you look at it that, yeah, the Islanders probably are the team you would choose to play in the first round, given the possibilities. I mean, I think it would be dreadful if the Penguins played Tampa. I know a lot of people think that Penguins give Tampa some problems and match up well, but that's definitely not the team you want to see in round one. And I I really don't think that Pittsburgh would win, win that series. Um, so you ignore that. Your choices would be Washington. Carolina, who I think's had one of the best records in the league since January, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who the Penguins do match up well and do always do well against, but Columbus just won five straight. It looks like some of their trade deadline guys are fitting in. I I don't know. I mean, Columbus, I feel like for them, if they get a good matchup, that they could make a little bit of noise even, you know, where they could just totally flame out. They seem very fragile. But for the Penguins' sake, you look at it, you don't really want to see the Capitals first round because you know you're going to see them second round anyways. So that leaves the Islanders, and I agree with you that as weird as it sounds, the New York Islanders aren't a fluke. I mean, it, it just can't be a coincidence that wherever Barry Trotz goes and with his goalie coach Mitch Korn has followed him from Nashville to Washington to now New York, they always have great goaltending. And that just isn't a fluke. Like, yeah, goaltending has a lot of variables in it, but it's always good for them. They know what they're doing, and they have a system that that either isolates a goalie, insulates a goalie, helps them out, because every goalie they have plays well. So that in the playoffs is is questionable to want to face, but at the same time, you look at the talent of the personnel, and the New York Islanders just don't really measure up on paper to any other option, so that's why I think they're the easiest. If you look at it, I think since the trade deadline or so they're barely a 500 team Matt Barzell has kind of gone quiet and I think they have a few injuries too so you know there's always a risk in the NHL if you you know if you be careful what you wish for because anything could happen the Islanders could beat the Penguins but you know I'd probably put it at a 70 75 percent chance that the Penguins should beat the Islanders in a series and that's that's a big chance really so I would take that if it if it breaks that way, and it looks like it is trending in that direction. So I think that's the best route for Pittsburgh. And then in round two, you'd be looking at Washington or maybe Carolina, Columbus, but probably Washington. So that to me looks like the path that it's, that it's headed right now. As weird as it sounds, maybe it's just me, but as weird as it sounds, I think taking the Islanders in round one and, you know, I think we I think we talked about this on Pensburg. I think uh, I, maybe it was you, either you or, or Gretz published an article that you know some of the odds makers in, in Vegas are starting to really like Sidney Crosby and and starting to really like the Penguins as the season draws to a close. And like I said, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's something weird how I view the playoffs. But if the Penguins do get past the the Islanders in round one, it's it's almost like you know. If they get past the Islanders and get to the Capitals, which is the presumed second round series, as it has been in the past, you would think that the Penguins at that point, should they get to round two, they're almost they're almost battle tested in a way. Maybe battle tested isn't the right word, but obviously they, they've been they've been in this position position before. They found success here, obviously within the last couple of years. So it's 
it's weird because you can't I can't really quantify what I'm trying to explain, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is anything can happen in the Stanley Cup uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. As cliche as it sounds, I think you know if the Penguins get that momentum because let's be honest, how many people were counting out the Penguins to not even be a playoff team at the start of the new year, even after the new year, you know, with their documented struggles up until the the, the trade deadline, and I think. If they get that momentum, if they start feeling good about how they're playing, if Sullivan likes the team, how it is, if, you know, uh, again, knock on wood, if there's no major injuries, if Matt Murray is still at the level of play, uh, you know, that he has been at this point in the season, I, there's call me crazy, but there, there really is no reason why the Penguins couldn't go and face Washington and give them a fight in the second round. You know, you kind of alluded to it when you were talking about potential matchups against Tampa Bay. Uh, possibly the Penguins starting out against Tampa Bay in the first round. I agree with you. I don't think if the Penguins, if, if the Penguins would have started round one against Tampa Bay, I don't think that they would have survived. Um, but it's weird because let's say that the Penguins and the Lightning do get to that conference final and they do meet again like they have in seasons past. I feel like once you would get to the third round of the playoffs, you know, teams teams who catch fire and get into that groove, they almost feel unstoppable. And, you know, depending on the paths that both the Lightning and the Penguins take, let's say that they do get to the the conference final, maybe momentum is strong enough on the Penguins' side. Maybe they're feeling it where they do, in fact, get past the the ever-dominant Tampa Bay Lightning. It, it's it's something odd to consider. And like I said, I can't really quantify it, but it's it's just so fickle. You can't really... I can't really describe it, but I guess I guess in a way you call it momentum. It's just it's just that weird thing, you know. You you start playing with that swagger that the Penguins could could get by getting a, a nice series win against the Islanders and and moving forward in into further rounds of the playoffs. So obviously, you know, as it stands right now, the question remains to be seen. You know, seeding has to be figured out. This, that, and the other. But it, it's something that I've always thought about. Is that is that a real is it, is it something tangible that you know that teams have that athletes have that that momentum that you know wills their way to a championship? It's interesting to consider, yeah. And I think you're onto something. Like, I think we all felt, especially like when the Penguins beat the Washington Capitals in a couple of those playoff rounds, that you just knew that they would make it to the Stanley Cup final at least, and if not, win the whole thing outright. I mean. You felt it, and I think in both both of those things, it's not like they didn't struggle in the conference finals in the next round or struggle even a little in the Stanley Cup finals. But, yeah, it's it almost feels inevitable. And for me, I think especially if the Pens could beat Tampa somehow in the Eastern Conference final, like then I, I would feel really, really good about their chances because there's no doubt that they've just taken down the best team in the league if it gets that far. And even to get there to have that confidence in round one, let it roll probably against the Capitals in round two and to kind of get the monkey off your back from losing to them last year and kind of taking that momentum back. I think that's really where they're going to get a lot of swagger if they get there is especially if, if they can shake the Capitals hands this year, one year after having to, you know, face them with long faces to know, Hey, we kind of restored order and now we're back on top. You know, that that could be the momentum they need to get carry forward if they face Tampa or Boston or whoever it might be in round three. All right, Jimmy, that 
that should do it, I think, for uh, for the, the, the intro of this podcast. Uh, we have a fantastic interview lined up with NHL Network's EJ Raddick, where we go on to discuss some of the possibilities uh, heading into this year's uh, playoff run. So, Jimmy, if, if you're all set, I'm all set. We can get straight into that interview with NHL Network's EJ Raddick. Let's roll. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here is NHL Network's EJ Raddick. We hope you enjoy. Our next guest on the Pennsburg podcast can be seen on NHL Now weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern time throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. He is EJ Raddick. EJ, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for uh, having me on. No problem. Uh, our first question here, uh, being that this is a, a Pittsburgh Penguins fan blog, uh, it looks like that the Penguins are on a collision course with the New York Islanders, if everything holds steady in terms of positioning-wise in the Metropolitan Division. So uh, assuming that the Penguins and Islanders do end up uh, colliding for that first-round playoff matchup, uh, what is your outlook for this potential matchup? Do you do you see one team taking control over the other, or do you see this being a, a pretty even uh, even series throughout seven games? Well, I mean, I think the Penguins have to have to be uh, viewed as the favorite just because this is a team that has won two Stanley Cups in the last three years. Last year, they were eliminated by the Capitals, who eventually went on to win the Stanley Cup. So. Uh, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins have been in the mix at the top of this league now for the last couple of years. They have the one of the best, uh, maybe still the best two-way player, 200-foot player in the game in Sidney Crosby. Evgeny Malkin has had a little bit of a down year coming back from injury, but they're hoping to have him back in the lineup. Still a force to be reckoned with uh, and someone who's had all kinds of big game experience. Uh, you know, Matt Murray has been part of two Stanley Cup winners as well in goal. Uh, Mike Sullivan behind the bench. I mean, there's a lot of positives for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, you know, you'd have to think they will be the favorite. We'll see if it opens at the Nassau Coliseum or in Pittsburgh, depending upon who is able to nail down uh, home ice. I don't think it matters quite as much for the Penguins. I think they've been able to uh, – this is an experienced group. They're able to win, I think, on the road almost as easily as they are able to win at home. But the Islanders are going to be uh, – they're going to play, you know, that kind of tough, stifling defense, make it difficult for you to – to create uh, a lot of offensive zone time. And, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Thomas Grice or Robin Leonard, those goaltenders have both been uh, equally good this year. So it, it, it shapes up as, a, as an interesting series. Uh, I would say the Penguins would be the favorite just based on their experience in recent history. EJ, and one thing you kind of mentioned there in your answer was Sidney Crosby and the Selkie Trophy, and that's often a different, difficult one to forecast because a lot of different voters are looking for a lot of different things, and it's sometimes a reputation-based award, but it does seem like Sid is picking up some momentum for the Selkie Award and some buzz there. What's your take on a league-wide perspective on if you think he has a good shot to be a finalist or win one, if not this year, then maybe one year in his career in the next few years coming up? Yeah, I mean, this award has kind of evolved since it was first, uh, since it first came on the scene uh, back in the, I guess, late 70s, early 80s. It was an award that I think the league was looking to uh, honor the likes of a player like Bob Gainey, who was uh, then with the Montreal Canadiens, and someone that really was uh, a complete uh, player, someone that was uh, that really played very, very well in the defensive zone, a good checker, and, and it didn't focus as much 
on uh, the combination of playing well in the D zone and also being able to be productive. I think that's kind of uh, changed over the last two decades. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, players, you know, like an Ange Kopitar, who had a terrific season last year, get that honor, or Patrice Bergeron, who's productive offensively, and Pavel Datsuk when he was in the league. There's been a handful of guys that this has kind of rotated back and forth through. Jonathan Tate has been in that mix. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of has a different uh, criteria, it seems like, over time. Uh, I think Sydney is certainly uh, someone that would be uh, highly uh, thought of in that in that regard to the way that it's judged these days. Uh, he's somebody that is a complete 200-foot player, uh, can play and, and win face-offs, can play in the defensive zone. I think the only thing that uh, maybe works against Crosby is I don't think he's used as much killing penalties as some of the other guys like a Bergeron or some of the other players that have been in the running over the last couple of years. But that said, he does get a, a high number of minutes, plays in all really all kinds of different situations, plays really uh, quite well in the defensive zone. So for me, uh, you know, if I were voting on it, which I'm not, writers vote on the Selkie, I think I would certainly give him very uh, strong consideration on my ballot. EJ, there was a tweet by the Athletics' uh, Pierre Lebrun that, that started to float around on Wednesday, and he went on to say that the NHL and the NHLPA agreed to a one-year extension about the current divisional alignment and the playoff format. And it seems like each year that the playoffs come around, come around there is increased chatter about uh, the, maybe the, the discontent between uh, some GMs or some players about uh, how the, the current playoff format is, is structured. And it looks like the earliest change for any type of divisional realignment or playoff format changing would come during the 2020-2021 season. So as of right now, it looks like there's no real appetite for change despite a lot of, uh, a lot of murmurings about it. Does this surprise you at all? And what is your take on the current play, playoff format? And do you think there will be any changes made after this one-year extension comes to an end? Yeah, um, well, I would tell you this. I mean, you use the right word, uh, the, the the lack or right phrase, no appetite. There really has been no appetite from a league standpoint for for any kind of change at this point. Um, you know, they've gone to this uh, divisional bracket-like setup. I think they were drawn to it probably for several reasons, but I think the biggest reason is to create a bracket-like uh, playoff system like we have with the NCAA tournament as a bracket. The NBA, I believe, is in a similar setup. And, uh, you know, so it, it's, a, it's a way to get fans to draw them in through kind of this bracket challenge uh, that even the most casual fans can kind of grasp onto. So, um I, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings. I think I think any system that you have, wise, with the exception of maybe going to a 116, 215 type format, there are going to be uh, there are going to be circumstances that arise that uh, that you're not going to be happy with. I mean, in this current system, for example, the Bruins and the Leafs are uh, are playing in the first round, and those are two of the top four or five teams in the league playing in the first round, one will be eliminated. Whereas, you know, there are teams that uh, you would think deserve maybe a better path down the road. But again, it's cyclical. The Atlantic division right now happens to be pretty top heavy and strong. 
in that area, and that's why you have that. We've seen that in other divisions over the last couple of years where that comes to pass. And depending how things, you know, finish, I mean, we could have, let's say, Nashville and Winnipeg uh, in a first-round matchup. So, you know, definitely uh, those are things that people look at and say, hey, that's not quite fair. But if you go back to the previous format, uh, when you had the three division winners get kind of one, two, three uh, seeding, uh, that 4-5 matchup was always a very difficult matchup, uh, depending upon who won the division. And it could be a team that finished with fewer points that has the third seed as opposed to the fourth seed because they're a division winner. So I think no matter what system you use outside of a straight one through 16 that the league used for a couple of years back in the uh, in the early 80s. Uh, and it's something I don't, again, I don't anticipate them going back to that just because of the travel concerns with that. Um, you know, I, I just don't see them, them changing off it, at least until that extension is up. At that point, Seattle comes in. I think if, uh, you know, the league will have the 32 teams, there'll be more balance from that standpoint. There'll be a better geographical balance. Perhaps the league will look at it that, at that point, depending upon how things shake out in the next couple of years. But certainly, uh, you know, two pretty big media centers and uh, original six teams, Toronto and Boston, having to play in a first-round series. I think that the loser of that series will likely be pretty sour that they had to open against such a tough opponent. Staying in the, the Atlantic Division, Tampa Bay Lightning just recently won their 60th game of the season, which only three teams in NHL history have done. And obviously it's tough to project what's going to happen, but do you see any pressure on them as being now the team to beat since they haven't really under Cooper done that well in the playoffs? Do you think that's going to get to them? Because, I mean, they've just looked like a machine all season long, rolling over teams. And to this point, they haven't really seemed to have that much adversity do you think it's going to catch up with them in the playoffs at all, or do you think that Tampa's just going to keep rolling for this foreseeable future? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is I think that they have had success under John Cooper. I mean, they went to the Stanley Cup final in 2015 under Cooper. They went to the Eastern Conference final game seven last year under John Cooper. So they've had a, a, a certain degree of success. Now, they haven't won the Stanley Cup yet, so they haven't had the ultimate success. But this has been a, a franchise that's you know, in many ways been a model franchise over the last several years uh, under the ownership direction of Jeff Minnick. So, I mean, that's the, the first thing. Uh, there's no question there's a lot of pressure on the Tampa Bay Lightning. I mean, we you don't have to look too far into the, to the record books to see teams that have had really good regular seasons, President's Trophy winners that have not fared well in the playoffs. I mean, the Washington Capitals went through a lot of that. Uh, you know, the, the team, uh, the 95-96 Detroit Red Wings, who were the team that Tampa was chasing for many of these regular season records, uh, they did not win the Stanley Cup. In fact, they didn't make the Stanley Cup Finals. So, um, you know, there is, an, I think, an inordinate amount of pressure on the Tampa Bay Lightning. They go into the playoffs uh, a little bit concerned about Victor Hedman, who is uh, maybe dealing with a concussion. There's no confirmation of that, but that seems to be the thought, that he might be dealing with something of that nature, and that's unpredictable as to how – the recovery window will be for him. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs are a lot about matchups and injuries, how healthy you are, who you're playing against, how you match up against those teams. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, anybody that plays Tampa in the postseason will be the underdog just based on the regular season that they've had. So there definitely will be pressure. And uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs and the playoffs in general are just different from the regular season in that – a seven-game series, you drill down to all the little details, and 
you know, I like the way uh, Tampa seems to be able to roll with the punches and play a lot of different styles and beat you playing different ways, but it'll be tough. I mean, they may have to, they're going to have to start, uh, you know, with uh, an opponent that will probably be on a high coming into the playoffs, whether it's Carolina or Montreal or Columbus, likely have to take on, let's say, Boston if they beat Toronto in the second round and, uh, you know, then maybe a Washington or a Pittsburgh in the in the conference final before even getting to the final. So uh, it's a tough road for all of these teams now. The uh, the league is the, the parity is at an all time high, and there'll be a lot of pressure for sure for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Flipping the coin a little bit, looking at the the, the Western Conference, um, really it, it's pretty wide open as of right now, with only the Calgary Flames getting over the one hundred point mark, and. Um, even even with Calgary's success this year, I don't think really anyone expected them to hit the hit, hit the fifty win mark and get over a hundred points. As it stands now, with the, the the final playoff positioning and and seeding coming into focus, EJ, who who are your teams that you look at from the Western Conference as the the, the premier teams, the, the the ones who you really think have a a realistic chance to make it all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Well, you said it. I mean, it is why I feel it's wide open in the Western Conference right now. I think that, you know, coming into the season, uh, Nashville and Winnipeg were two teams that we viewed as powerhouses. I think both of those teams are vulnerable right now for sure. Uh, they both had their ups and downs down the stretch. Uh, Winnipeg just got uh, Dustin Bufflin back from a long stretch on the IR with an ankle injury. So he's trying to get up to speed. They're missing Josh Morrissey on defense. Their goaltending hasn't been as tight this year. Patrick Laine had one month going back to November when he was just a dynamic goal scorer. And after that, it's been the, the, the production has been really limited. I mean, it's been kind of mind-boggling. He can score 18 goals in the month of November and have other months where he doesn't, where he struggles to score two or three. So, um, so there, there's some vulnerability there for sure in, in Winnipeg. The same in Nashville. Uh, San Jose coming into the season. I love their roster. Only a month ago, I thought they were really rounding into form. Joe Pavelski got hurt. Uh, you know, Eric Carlson's been dealing with an injury, and this is a team that's really struggled down the stretch now. So there's that's another vulnerable team. Calgary has had a great season, but uh, you know, you start the playoffs with Mike Smith and David Riddick in goal. Smith has had an ups and downs this year. Uh, I think the teams that are coming to this and maybe in the best shape or the St. Louis Blues out of the Central, who were dead last on January 3rd, dead last in the league, not just in their division, and have finished strong and have a chance over the last couple of days to maybe win that division. They've been playing some great hockey. And the, the Vegas goal tonight, you know, with uh, the asterisk that Marc-Andre Fleury has to return to the net, he's missed some time now with injury. It looks like he's going to be on course for a return. And if he's healthy, uh, you know, this is a team that I think once again, as a threat to go on to the Stanley Cup final. But I can, I can make a case for anybody in the West, and uh, I think it's really wide open. I think the Dallas Stars are kind of a sleeper in all this. If, if Ben Bishop can stay healthy, this is the team, uh, guys, that uh, over a stretch of 15 games down the stretch allowed just 23 goals going into their game against Philadelphia where they allowed two. So uh, that's with 25 goals in 16 games. That's below two goals against the game. That's a pretty stingy defense, and Matt Zuccarello returning to the lineup. Uh, a deadline acquisition has been, I think, a good fit uh, and somebody that can help them with secondary scoring in the postseason. So 
I think there's a number of teams in the West that could make a run. It'll be really interesting to see how it unfolds. Yes, that, that's going to be really interesting out West. And um, we know we don't have the exact matchups yet, so this doesn't have to be your final, final pick. But as of now, yeah. what, what would be your very early Stanley Cup Finals series prediction? Well, based on what we've seen down the stretch, I mean, uh, you know, I, li- I I would say this. I think that there's a great chance that St. Louis and uh, and Vegas could be in the uh, in the conference final in the West. It really just depends on that matchup. I mean, it, it's 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 tricky because for Dallas is a wild card for me. They match up well against the Winnipeg. They matched up well against Calgary this year, and they give St. Louis trouble. So, you know, if they, they could be a fly in the ointment for anybody, but I think St. Louis and and, uh, and Vegas and the West could be a showdown. And, you know, it's hard to really write off St. Louis the way they've been playing since, since January 3rd, as I mentioned. And in the East, you know, I think I have to go with Tampa based on what I've seen from them this year. They're so deep. But, you know, Boston is somebody that could, that could give them a hard time. And, you know, I think we might be sleeping on the Penguins a little bit. They've had a pretty good finish. And if everybody's healthy there, they can do damage. And, of course, the Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals are a factor here. So, I mean, I think I would take Tampa probably in the East right now without knowing the matchups. And, uh, you know, maybe I would take that – maybe take St. Louis to continue to play well and get to a Stanley Cup final, which would be great for the fans there in St. Louis. They haven't been to a Stanley Cup final since the very, very early days of that franchise's uh, existence back in those in that early expansion era of the late 60s. DJ, uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, for joining us tonight on the Pensburg Podcast. And just before you get out of here, a reminder to everyone who is listening that, again, you can follow all of EJ's premier coverage on the NHL Network throughout the NHL playoffs and into the Stanley Cup Final on NHL Now weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. EJ, again, I want to thank you so much for joining us and have a great rest of your evening. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care now. That was NHL Network's EJ Raddick. You can follow him on Twitter at EJ Raddick underscore NHL. That's at E-J-H-R-A-D-E-K underscore NHL for premier analysis and highlights all around the league as he covers the NHL playoffs for NHL Network. Uh, Jimmy, I thought it was a pretty, pretty great interview to get EJ's insight, uh, especially for me. I think getting the insight on, as, as minor as it may seem, Sidney Crosby and Selkie consideration, you know, it hasn't really been brought up. I don't think it's been brought up a lot throughout his previous seasons, but he, to me, I think he's playing some of the best defensive hockey in his professional career. I think, I don't think he's getting enough credit as it is right now. Maybe that may change in, in, in the eyes of how this, you know, how the voters view Crosby as the season and the playoffs come to an end, but I really do think I, I think Sidney Crosby is a incredibly viable candidate for the for the Selkie Trophy, one that really hasn't been synonymous with his name uh, like previous seasons. Yeah, my bold prediction was he would be a finalist this year, which I think I, I'm still going with. Um, I looked it up. Crosby has gotten votes for the Selkie seven times, I think, in his career. But for that, you know, the writers. A hometown writer can just toss you a vote and you, you appear on it. But he did finish, I think, seventh place last year. So the momentum's kind of growing. To EJ's point in the interview, I do think he needs to do more penalty kill time to really get that award. But 
at the same time, that's not really a goal of the Penguins to get him just that award. They have to consider their own team. But before his career is over, my bold prediction is Sidney Crosby will be a Selkie Trophy winner. So you can take that to the bank. I think I think I will take that to the bank. I think how many times you know have we gushed over Sidney Crosby, uh, getting to fortunately watch him on a nightly basis. But you know, as biased as I may come off, at the same time you can't deny the facts. I think he truly is the the best two hundred foot player in the game, bar none. And I think until the day he hangs up the skates, he will be one of the premier 200 foot players in the, in the game. I think he will go down as being obviously one of the greatest players of all time. One of the best 200 foot players of all time. I mean, it would just be, it would be a smaller accolade on, on, on Sidney Crosby's incredibly long list of accolades, but one that I think he is, he is rightfully deserving of. Yeah. You look at it. I think the other day there was 70 face-offs in a game and he took like 44 of them. So, I mean, they're using him left and right. And in close games, the last five minutes of games, he's playing like three or four minutes of the games, especially when Pittsburgh has a lead. So, I mean, his use is just so, so all over the place right now. And it is gushing over him, but he deserves it because what he's bringing to the table is just really helping this team right now. And and yeah, I think he is, I think he's picking up a little bit of buzz and momentum around the league, as EJ kind of alluded to. So we'll have to see how it goes this, this year, see if he gets in that top three or maybe even wins it. Definitely. It's going to be interesting from a personal perspective for Crosby. It's also going to be interesting to see uh, how the Penguins fare once, you know, once the playoffs do come around, assuming that they do clinch, if they haven't already clinched, uh, uh, that elusive playoff spot. And, and we'll see, you know, where they fare as the playoffs are just around the corner and the best time of the hockey season is just about to kick off. Uh, but that will just about do it for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast. Before we get out of here, uh, I'd like to remind everybody, uh, if you like what you're listening to, please feel free to give us a five-star rating on your streaming service of choice, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Uh, you can follow all of our accounts on Twitter. You can follow Jimmy on Twitter at hooks underscore or pick. You can follow myself on Twitter at G Bahana. That's at G B E H A N N A. You can get notified every time a new episode of the Pensburg podcast goes live by following our Twitter account at Pensburg pod at Pensburg P O D. Follow our main account. If you aren't already for awesome interwebs content regarding the Pittsburgh Penguins, you can follow our main account at Pensburg. Feel free to send us any correspondences you'd like. Uh, we also have an email address uh, you can send anything you'd like through email. Uh, the email address is pensburgpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm always welcome to listener feedback in any way uh, we can get it. But for Jim Rixner, Hooks Orpik, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.